My name is Johnny, and I am the campus pastor here, and uh, I'm excited to have you with us today. These three rows were full, and now they're empty. That feels awkward to me, but it is a bit like the blue man group when I preach, you know, you might, who knows, you get in the front row, you don't know what's going to happen up there. Um, We are uh, currently in a series right now called Living on God's Time. This is our third week in the series, and we are, we're working through the Old Testament, some of the stories of the Old Testament, and it's been a thrill for me uh, to study and prepare. I hope that um, these messages are connecting with your lives. Sometimes we feel like the Old Testament is so far away, it's so detached from where we are, but my prayer is that as we go through, uh, as we go through the Old Testament, as we look at our spiritual legacy, as the people of God, as we look at our spiritual legacy, uh, my prayer is that we will uh, be enlivened and transformed even as we are today. And so that's what we're doing. We're looking at our spiritual lineage, and we're trying to get a sense of God's timing and God's promises. And uh, we've, we've looked now at uh, Abraham, and we talked about how Abraham was an old man. Abram was an old man when God called him, but God's timing is always the right timing, even when it doesn't feel like that to us, and also how God's promises are uh, new and fresh for us today, even as they were to Abram when he was called. And um, that's, that's what we're excited to continue talking about today as we look at a guy named Jacob. But we got to get to Jacob. we got to get to Jacob, okay? So last week we talked about Abram. We're at the call of Abram. You know, God shows up to this guy. He makes a promise And he says, this promise to you, Abram, is going to stretch out over generations. The promise that God makes to Abram is not uh, for the moment that he finds Abram in. It's not even, uh, uh, you know, contained to the life that Abram will live. It was really a promise that was going to stretch out on and on and on. He says, I will make you a great nation. Your children and their children and their children will outnumber the stars in the sky. This is a huge generational promise. And... Soon after uh, God met with Abram and made that promise, Abram started to see how the promise was going to start to come true. So even in their old age, far past uh, the age where they could have naturally conceived, Abram and his wife Sarah conceived a son and named him Isaac. They named him Isaac. And, uh, And that was an illustration for them of the way that God was going to show up of the way that God was going to make good on his promises. It was an illustration for them of the way that not only does God, uh, is God the foundation of his promises, but he is also the one who makes the promises come true. And this is something we've talked about, how we can't make these promises come true. They are the promises of God, and they're not dependent on us and our attitudes and our actions. And so uh, Abram and Sarah have this son named Isaac. It's a moment that defies expectation for them. And Isaac grows up and he moves and he finds a nice wife. He finds a nice wife and with his nice wife he has these two children named Jacob and Esau. Now, this sounds like a very clean lineage, right? Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and Esau. That's not bad. That's really nice. If you go this week and start at Genesis chapter 12 and read through Genesis chapter 28, which is where we'll be this morning, you will see that I'm giving you the Cliffs Notes, the PG Cliffs Notes, okay? 
Uh, and Genesis is not always PG, right? This is not always the cleanest line. There are other children being born um, by other means. We'll just leave it there, okay? There are other children being born throughout this process by other means. This is not a clean process. When we look at the stories of God's people in the Old Testament, what we find out is that we call them heroes, and in a lot of ways they are heroes, but not everything that they do is heroic. Not everything that they do is heroic. And I think that's important for us to realize because if we consider ourselves, uh, if we try to look at these stories and see ourselves, but we only ever see this guy Abraham as a saint, or we only ever see Isaac as a very saintly man, or we only ever see Jacob and Esau, if we, if we always color these characters from these stories, these biblical heroes, if we color them as these saintly individuals, we will never see ourselves in these stories. Because we're not saintly individuals. Well, I'm not. Maybe you are. Congratulations. I'm not a saintly individual, okay? And I'm the pastor. So, you know, this real talk, guys, okay? But I'm not a saintly individual. And neither were they. And that's important because we need to be able to see ourselves in the stories of God's people. Abram and Isaac and Jacob, they struggled. They had doubt. They had conflict. And that's important because this is the story of God's promise to his people, not his people who were perfect enough to gain the promise. And that's really, really important for us. So if you have family conflict in your lives, seriously, go read these stories, okay? You got nothing on this crazy family, okay? They got some conflict that you've never dreamed of. Uh, they've got problems that I pray that you do not have this morning, okay? That's sincerely true. Um, they're not perfect, but they are the recipients of God's promise. But there's something else that I want us to think about this morning about this story, something that's very strange, something that uh, is kind of weird for us to imagine, okay? The promise of God in these stories is tenuous. It's, it's delicate. It's, it's, not, um, it's not this ironclad thing in the way that we would think of it this morning, because God has come alongside this man named Abraham and made a promise, so Abraham and his wife are the recipients of this promise. Now that's two people of the promise. They have a son, Isaac. He becomes a recipient of the promise. He gets married. Now we're up to four people. And then Jacob and Esau are born. At, the, at this point, if we take this story seriously, the lineage of God, the promise of God, God's people is six people. That's tenuous. We're a meteor strike away from no more promise, Okay. I mean, this is a, this is, there's not a huge group of people gathered around this idea of God and his promise. So here this morning, we gather together and we remember God's promise. This is what we come and do on Sunday mornings. And across town, there's another campus, same body as us, right? We are the same body of believers and they are, are remembering this promise. They're celebrating the promise. Right across the street, right, we have... Right across the street, we have another church uh, right here in our neighborhood, and they are people of the promise. A little different doctrine, okay, but I'm not ready to kick them out yet. So they're still people of the promise. I get to make those decisions, if you're wondering. Yeah. Um, <laughs> still people of the promise. We're surrounded. We're surrounded by people of the promise. Now, as I said last week, we're also surrounded by people who do not believe the promise. This is our life, living in between, living in between. We have people around us here who trust the promise, and we have people in our lives 
who don't trust the promise. But it's hard for us to imagine six people being people of the promise. But that's the situation in this story. And I think that's important for us to realize as we get our way into this story because that's what makes what happens in this story so important. Because in our text, we see how the promise of God is both generational. It's been passed on from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. It's generational. But it's also very personal. The promise of God is also something that comes very personally. And both of those aspects are important. Both of those realities are important for us to realize. So today we are in Genesis chapter 28. And uh, if you were here four weeks ago, um, there was a, a Northwestern College drama team and they played out the drama of Jacob and Esau using just scripture. It was really, it was a wonderful, it was a beautiful thing. Um, And so if you were here for that, you kind of know the story. If you weren't here, that's a-okay. I'm going to give you the the Cliff's Notes again of the story. Jacob and Esau are born. They're twins, but Esau is born first. And that means that Esau is, uh, is owed the birthright and the blessing. But Jacob and, and his mother have determined that they are going to get that birthright and that blessing for themselves. And they're looking back to Genesis chapter 25 when uh, it says that Jacob and Esau were fighting within their mother's womb, okay? And she goes to God and she says, what's happening? Why are they fighting so much? And he says, you have, God says to her, you have two nations in your womb. You have two people in your womb and they, they are quarreling together. And God says, the younger will be the master over the older, so this is, a, this is a statement by God to Rebecca. Well, as, she, uh, as, as the children get older and she sees this quarrel play out, she's got a favorite, it's Jacob. Isaac has a favorite, it's Esau. And they are, they are always quarreling with one another. But Jacob decides that he's going to get the birthright and the blessing from Esau. He does some, some trickery, some trickeration. He gets in there and messes, messes things up a little bit for himself. And he gets both of those things, the birthright and the blessing. And then Esau is understandably not pleased with this development. And so Esau says, um, I'm going to kill you. So that's brotherly love. Um, Esau says, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob says, bye, and leaves. Okay? So, yeah, that's what I have. This is very biblical. Um, so Jacob, he gets out of there. And that's where we find Jacob now. We're going to come to this story, and that's where Jacob is. Jacob is a man on the run. Jacob is getting out. He got the blessing and the birthright, but... He's not in a good spot. You would think with those two things, he would be set up for success. But really where we find him now is alone, is scared, is literally running for his life. So that's where we're at. Genesis chapter 28. We're going to start here in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went out and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. That is not a my pillow, okay? That's a rock. Sorry. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, 
and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring, back, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of the Lord. So when I had been working at my previous church for about a year, my senior pastor went on vacation. So I was the associate pastor. He went on vacation, and he said, you're in charge for the next Sunday morning. And that was okay. I had preached before. Um, I had, you know, I had run a church service before at that church, and so I thought, this is no big deal. I, you know, this is not like something I've never done before. No big deal. The only thing that was different about this service than a normal Sunday morning service was that it was Communion Sunday. It was Communion Sunday. Now, I, uh, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. And I have been taking communion since before I can remember taking communion. I mean, it's just been part of a normal church routine for my whole life is just taking communion. So it never crossed my mind that I would have to prepare specially this Sunday morning for communion. I had run a church service before. I had taken communion, you know, several million times in my life. Uh, this is no, no big deal. I'm good to go. It's not a big deal. And then uh, the moment in the service came to administer communion. And suddenly I was at a complete loss. Do I have to tell the elders to come forward or will they just come forward themselves? They will not come forward themselves, okay? You have to tell them, okay? I didn't know, right? Do I, do I read, do I literally pick up scripture and, and read right from the Last Supper account or do I just say the words from memory? Do I, do I pick up the trays and hand them to the elders or will they come and get them themselves? I mean, these are like strange logistical things that I had never considered before. I had never been part of before. And so even though I had been taking communion since I was a kid, even though I had been uh, in church services and, and even been doing church services at my church for a long time, I was in uncharted territory and I was completely floundering. Let me tell you, until the day I left, people still talked to me about that communion Sunday. <laughs> it was not my best moment as a pastor. It was not. I was floundering. So in our passage today, Jacob um, finds himself in uncharted territory. Jacob has grown up as a child of the promise. Maybe he heard Abraham tell the story of the call of God, right? This was his grandfather. Maybe he had heard Abraham actually say, one day I was out and God came to me and gave me this message, right? He would have heard Isaac tell the stories of God's goodness and God's provision. Isaac would have raised him as a child of the promise, talking to him about how God had led him and blessed him with a family of his own. 
Jacob had heard from his mother how, how God had told her that one of her sons would, go, uh, would grow and rule over the other. This would have been a promise that he would have internalized throughout his life. This is who Jacob was. He was a child of the promise. This was commonplace for him and his family to talk about the promises of God. But when we find Jacob here in Genesis chapter 28, those promises seem very, very far away. God seems far away from Jacob. Jacob is a man on the run. Literally, Jacob is running for his life. He's living in the consequences of some pretty bad decisions that he's made. And at this point, the faith that has been passed down to him, the faith that has been transmitted through generations, seems to have very little value. Sure, God was there for his grandpa. Sure, God was there for his dad. But now Jacob is out and he's on his own. And what good is that faith now? What good is that faith now? And so Jacob, tired uh, from running for his life, lays down to get some sleep. And he gets this vision of heaven meeting earth. And the message of the angels as they ascend and descend this cosmic staircase is that God is not disconnected or unconcerned with his creation. The message is that God is deeply invested in the world and in the life of his people. So Old Testament theologian Walter Brueggemann says it like this, earth is not left to its own resources and heaven is not a remote self-contained realm for the gods. Heaven has to do with the earth and earth may count on the resources of heaven. Jacob, in the middle of running for his life, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of this wilderness moment in his life where the promises of his father and his grandfather seem so far away, gets a message from God, and the message is, I am interested in you. I am interested and involved in my creation. And for Jacob, this is a message that brings hope into a hopeless situation. We are, uh, we're scant in this narrative on details about jo Jacob's mental state, but it's not difficult to imagine that he might be losing faith a bit in the promise of the God of Abraham. Abraham was promised a blessed life by God, but the life Jacob found himself with felt decidedly unblessed. God promised to make Abraham into a great nation, but now Jacob was facing what looked like the end of the line. If, if Jacob gets killed here, the line of Abraham ends. That's what Jacob is looking at. And God shows up into that moment and tells Jacob that the same promise that he made to Abraham, the same promise that he made to Isaac, the same promise that seems so far away in that moment is the same promise that God is extending to Jacob as well. And it's within the context of the generational faith of his fathers that Jacob is able to hear and accept the promise of God. The first words that God says to Jacob in this dream are, I am the God of your father Abraham and of Isaac. It's within the context of a generational faith that God uh, opens space for this personal faith that Jacob accepts. This morning, we got to be a part of seeing that type of generational faith made personal. 
As these students made their profession of faith, they didn't do it in a vacuum, but they did it in light of the vows that were made at their baptism. As Pastor Josh said, this is, this is the culmination of those baptismal vows. These students were baptized into the body of Christ. They were the recipients of a generational faith through the waters of baptism. And during baptism, we as a church, us, made a declaration that we repeated today to love, encourage, and support these students by teaching them the gospel of God's love, to be an example of Christian faith and character, and to give the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service. In living out our vows to these students and all the children who are baptized here, that's my children, that's the children that we saw last week being baptized, all the children that are baptized here. In living out these vows, we pass along the generational faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We tell and retell the stories of God and create a communal memory of his promises to us, his goodness in following through on those promises. That's what we are raising our children up in. That's what we are passing along. And it's within that context, the context of this generational faith, of those baptism vows, that these students made their profession of personal faith this morning. Like Jacob, God has met with these students personally, and that what they have learned and grown with and into has become their own. The promises given to Abraham and Isaac have been received this morning by Jaden, by Alex, by Jacob, by Rachel, by Carson, by Ryan, by Sam, Mason, and Justin. That's, that's what we witnessed when they made their profession of faith. And this morning, those are the same promises that God is asking us to pass along to the next generation. The promises that he's asking us to pass along and also the promises that he is extending to us. If you're a part of God's family this morning, if you are part of the people of God, you have a role in passing on the promises of God to your children, your grandchildren, to nieces and nephews, to the children who are learning stories of God in Kids Connection right now. What a beautiful moment when Pastor Josh had people who uh, had, had been with these children since nursery, right? Changing diapers. My seven-year-old leaned over to me and said, I don't want to change diapers. Me either, man, but that's life. And some of you did that in the nursery for these students. And what a beautiful thing to have you stand up and, and, and let the church witness this is the impact of generational faith and it gets passed down and down and down. As people of the promise, it is incumbent upon us to pass those promises on, to tell and retell the stories of God's faithfulness and fidelity, of the God who doesn't stay detached in heaven, but who meets us here on earth. And the other thing this morning that I want to say is that we still have a God who shows up and invites us to make a personal faith. And I don't necessarily think this just happens once. Because we can find ourselves like Jacob in wildernesses time and time again. We can start to forget the promises that God made to our, our families, that God made to us. And we can start to think that we're alone, that we're on the run. So maybe this morning, 
Maybe this morning you have a generational faith that was passed to you in baptism and you've never accepted it as a personal faith that God is offering you today. I, I pray that like Jacob, you would hear those promises of God and own them for yourself. Or maybe like Jacob, you're in a wilderness right now. You, you've, you feel like you've run out of, of gas in your God's promises tank. Well, God is not far away from us. There's still this stairway to heaven that, that the angels come up and down. God is not disinterested in where you are and in the struggles that you're facing. And God is offering these promises to you again, this refreshing and renewal of promise. It's generational and it's personal and it's all for us, for the people of God, so that we can go out and share it with the world. That's my prayer for us this week. And what a beautiful, beautiful image last week to have baptism, this week to have profession of how the generational and the personal come together. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that just as you came to Abraham and Jacob, you've come to us. I thank you that somehow a faith that at one point belonged to six people now belongs to us gathered here this morning. And that your promises have been seen through. Not based on our own goodness or our own achievement or our own value, God, but based on the fact that you made the promises. God, I pray that we would be a people who tell and retell of those promises. That we share those promises with our children and their children, with the children in Kids Connection, with the children who are going to run around here this, this morning once we've closed. And God, I pray that someday those children would accept that personal faith that you offer as well. And that we would open ourselves up in our wilderness moments to re-hear your promises and re-believe those promises to us. God, we love you. And we know that you love us infinitely more than we'll ever understand or appreciate. We thank you, God. And we pray this in your name. Amen.